0: A body has been discovered by tourists in Russia's Ural Mountains at the famous Dyatlov Pass, an area with a murky history of unsolved deaths. Uh, the pass was the setting for a real-life Soviet mystery. The bodies of nine hikers were found almost 60 years ago, the cause of their deaths still unknown. Now police and emergency teams have set out on an expedition to get to the pass to investigate the latest find... And my colleague Neil Harvey discussed the history of the area with RT's William Whiteman. Several very peculiar, bizarre things surround this event. Uh, One of which is that uh, when the tent was recovered, they found that a hole had been slashed in the side of it. And all of the team's belongings were left inside pretty much undisturbed, but the team were nowhere to be seen. Then, when the bodies were recovered, they were found to be wearing hardly any clothes. Uh, They they were wearing some sleeping clothes and uh, no shoes. So they must have dashed out of the tent, not even trying to open the door. They slashed aside side opening the tent and ran out into the middle of the night. And several of them had uh, blunt blunt trauma, uh, concussions, broken bones, this kind of stuff, suggesting uh, that they'd been attacked, possibly. This all sounds quite spooky to someone who doesn't know much about hiking, but as, as we know, they were experienced um, hikers. They, they were well-prepared for this journey. What could possibly explain this rather bizarre-looking behaviour? Well, I mean, there's, there's several um, uh, theories that have been put forward, uh, one of which is that, obviously, uh, something spooked them, something panicked them. That's why they all went charging out of mm-hmm. the tent, completely ignoring any of their training which they would have been through. Um, so uh, people have... Uh, People, various people have written the theories on it, suggesting it could have been something like a, a, an attack, something like a Yeti, something living on the mountain could have potentially attacked them. Um, some bright lights which were seen in the area um, by witnesses uh, led some to draw conclusions that perhaps it was something like aliens, um, but perhaps more probably that it could have been uh, military testing. There were reports of uh, uh, parachute landmines being tested in the area, which could perhaps explain lights being seen in the Guy, and obviously, this would have then you know freaked them out and led them to go charging out into the night, ignoring their training. Um, another, possibly more believable explanation is that uh, when you have severe hypothermia, uh, sometimes you can uh, experience you're so cold that you actually start to feel incredibly hot. Yeah, it, it sounds bizarre, I've heard of it though. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. And so, they would have maybe run out of the tent feeling like they were burning up and taken their clothes off, and then obviously frozen to death in the way that they did. this also points to the fact that maybe it could have been something like um, uh, there's a phenomenon that happens uh, around mountainsides where when uh, wind whistles around them in a certain way it creates something called a uh, Carmen Vortex Sheet. Uh, and this then generates uh, infrasounds. And now when a human being is exposed to infrasounds, it induces sensations of extreme nausea, panic, uh, dis- like distress. This could have meant that they, uh, they completely freaked out. So some bizarre explanations, some more logical ones, but nobody really knows the answer. This is the thing. We still don't know what happened. Uh, it's, it's, and that's why there's so much fascination in this story, even today.
1: Welcome to the Conspiracy Therapy Podcast with Ryan, Larry, and Joshua. And on today's episode, we are going to be examining the unsolved mystery of the Diltov Pass. You guys remember that show Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah. I never watched it. Really? Yeah, Larry, I guess I know you had to. Oh yeah,
2: me. I watched it. Yeah, okay. definitely.
1: <laughs> was Was it just me who got the shit scared out of him every time he heard this intro music? Pretty much. It It just harkens to like all the boogeyman, like y visions of macabre. Yeah from from youth. Um. <clears throat> Great to hear that theme again, by the way, mm. still scares me, <laughs> still feel like I got to poop a little bit. Now, this is a unsolved mystery. So I wanted to start a new series in our conspiracy therapy show because something we else we enough. can go. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we've got the cryptids. We've got the, the hard conspiracy. We've got the death spiracies, which I think we're about ready to do another one here soon. And now we've got unsolved mysteries. Now this is creepy. Obviously from that opening clip. This is something I had no idea about. Did you have you guys heard Never anything? Never heard of it. Never no. heard of it. Nope. Okay. <laughs> so basically the 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 sources for this are mysteriousuniverse.org <laughs> and amnationalistcouncil.wordpress.com. Now mis- that's
2: mis- What was it called? The first one.
1: The first one, mysteriousuniverse.org.
2: Oh, universe. I thought you said university. I was like, <laughs> that's a scary football
1: team. That's like, that's where Harry Potter goes when he goes to his college. Um, he, Josh doesn't like that. He's a Harry Potter fan. Harry Potter goes to Harvard. Okay, so the story goes as, as such. Well, actually... Should we do a 1 out of 10 for this? Because I don't really know what, what what would be a 1 to 10 for... For, for,
2: for people for, just mysteriously dying. Yeah. And disappearing.
1: It's um, up there. Yeah, it's pretty high. It's an 8. I would say 9. I would say an 8. If you don't know what it is, your imagination makes it like a 12.
2: That's numerically <laughs> impossible.
1: It is, but still, if it's something that you don't know how... In your mind, it's like, well, obviously, it was like a gang of Freddy Krueger's and like Jason Voorhees <laughs> that no. pulled them out of the tent. No, it was the Yeti coming down to get you, like in downhill ski. See, the problem is, is I see Claymation Yeti in my head. I see like, <laughs> and I see like the other from guy. Uh,
2: Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer. Yeah, and the, yeah. And the, <laughs>
1: the, the, the gold prospector guys is like, there, like there's what, Yetis up in these here huge. I tell you what. Rudolph's like, she thinks I'm cute. That's all I can think of when I think of the claymation version. But that's just. And me. then.
2: Uh, uh, I want to be
1: Luke. a dentist.
2: Then Luke Skywalker cuts. Cuts open Rudolph and hides <laughs> in him because it's too cold.
1: That's a. Uh, that's a great symbiotic. Disney now owns it. Hey. <laughs> could Cut into Bambi. Oh, <laughs> how did we get into this oh <laughs> fun stuff alright so the story goes as such in February 1959 nine Russian mountaineers went on a cross country skiing trip that ended in a horrific scene that has perplexed and disturbed experts and conspiracy minded folks ever since like ourselves now it's important to keep in mind this wasn't just Russia this was a Soviet run Russia This is USSR kind of times yeah. So it wasn't you you kind of have to have an idea of the times. But um so uh, initially it was 10 though. 10, 10 of the mountaineers. Okay. I think what what drew me to the story and what makes this one so damn scary is that once again like our previous episode on Operation Northwoods this is 100% real. Oh, wow. Well, I mean it's reported. It's right. it's not fake. The the bodies the bodies were found. Mm-hmm. The, the the people were out there. Um these people existed. This was real and the before and after is documented and photographed from the time that uh from that whole time that are they're they're real, they're and to you know, spoiler, they're disgusting. Okay. Um on January twenty fifth, nineteen fifty nine, one ski instructor, three engineers, and seven students from the former Soviet Union's Ural polytechnic. Institute located in the city they then known Great as Great
2: Basketball Team.
1: Oh, I'm <laughs> sure. Of uh, svird, okay. Oh boy, let here me, we go. <laughs> let, let me just preface this whole episode by saying, I'm not drinking, but good God, saying a lot of these Russian <laughs> words are hard to say.
2: That's because you actually have to be on vodka
1: to pronounce <laughs> them. <laughs> it de slurs the words. <laughs> let me see if I can try this again. Uh, the city was known as Sverd. Sverdlovsk. Sverd. 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 How's it spelled? S V E R D L O V S K. Sverdlovich. Where the bitch? <laughs> okay. It's Russian. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's
2: implied. That. It's right. implied. Okay. It's Western Block. Eastern the, Block, I mean. They, oh, yeah. It's actually vodka. Vodka is how you pronounce everything in Russia.
1: These guys they boarded a train and embarked on a trip to the nearby Otoron mountain range, which in the northern Urals, which was in the northern Urals, for a fun time of cross-country skiing. the the leader The leader of the excursion was an enthusiastic young man named Igor Dialtov. Oh wait, Dialtone. Dite to love that, That's the name of the pass. He's, Dial he's, to he's love. Very impo- he's very important. The, the name of the pass is D-Y-A-T-L-O-V. So that's Daya to love. Dial to love. Okay. Dial to love? Dial that love. Dial to love. It <laughs> sounds like a sex line. Uh, for whom the pass would eventually be named, and he assembled a crack team of male and female skiers with the intention that the intense wintry trial would be a training exercise for future expeditions into the area difficult and brutally cold arctic area as they left the train station and got into a truck on the way to the so called Alpine and the Urals one of them Yuri Yudin (laughs) who I mentioned before who's a
2: urologist
1: (laughs) (laughs) I laughed drop your trousers (laughs) let me see penis uh oh I'm sick Uh, He became ill and was unable to stay with the group. So like I said, there were actually 10 people that were sent. This guy got so ill, um, which I've been there before. Most of the time, I, you know, you miss out on an awesome trip, but this was the one instance where you wanted to be the sick guy because he was incredibly lucky when you look at what happened. Um, Sadly, Later in his life, he was so consumed by guilt and wonder for his friend's face, according to Yudin, he asked, if I had a chance to ask God just one question, it would be, what really happened to my friends that night? Hmm. Now, hmm. before we go, um, do you guys want to see a quick picture of these people, Um, but what they look like? Sure. Okay. Well, I Let's press, press on- D and dick was the first thing that popped up on my search <laughs> engine. So... As you look, these are all friendly college kids. Basically. They look happy. They're young, young in their, in their twenties, full of life, (laughs) which
2: being from Russia, they look like they're in their forties.
1: There's a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are, these are, these are friendly, friendly people. And, uh, considering what happens soon, it's, it's crazy to see. I mean, look, look, yeah. Oh yeah. And then that picture up there and the, Look at I mean that just just that that one right there. Aww. That's the girls. Um, keep you know that- you're gonna
3: have to post these so people. Oh can yeah, oh them. yeah.
1: I, we're gonna have a lot of images from this because this is pretty well documented. Um, so anyway, now that we've 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 seen these images, um, I don't which by that? the way, these will all be posted on Facebook, which everyone should like, and we'll also have them on our Instagram at Conspiracy Therapy. So they said their goodbyes and got with their expedition. Now, I want you to imagine it's winter, 1959, and this is kind of before global warming really made winters awkward. Things in Soviet led Russia aren't like mag lights and F 350 trucks with long heated mega trailers that sleep eight comfortably. This is cloth tents and manually made fires by frozen sticks, caveman style, in the wild, freezing temperatures. Supposedly, it was like negative 30. Oh, no, thank you. That's freeze your boogers cold. Yeah. That's freeze your saliva. That's it's freeze the water in the beard. your eyeballs. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Snot has no place. On February 11th, 1959, the Deltov ski team was supposed to arrive in Vizhai. Among their first orders of business following a hot meal and a stiff drink were to send their loved ones telegrams announcing mm. the success of their been, mission.
2: been doing it wrong. I've been having a hot drink and a stiff meal.
1: <laughs> What's a stiff meal?
2: Frozen hot dogs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. When no telegrams were received, most of the team's family members were not concerned. Realizing the journeys like this rarely end on schedule... But when over a week went by with no word from the skiers, their relatives began to demand that the Ural Polytech Institute organize a search and rescue operation, which they did post-haste. Within days, it became clear the Institute's ground-based initiative would not be able to produce any results on their own. And what was when both military and civilian authorities got involved in the search? Military planes and helicopters were swiftly dispatched to the area, and it was on February 25th. By the way, that's the day I joined the military.
2: Wow, it's your a, fault it is.
1: That a pilot first spotted something curious on a mountainside. The next day, the search party included fellow polytech student Mikhail Chavren. Made their way up to an abandoned encampment on the eastern slope of Mountain listed as ten seventy nine or one thousand seventy nine or one zero seven nine. See, I did three variations <laughs> in case people were confused by my numbers. The foreboding, the foreboding peak is better known to the indigenous Manzi tribesmen as Kalat Sayakal. Which sounds like Star Wars. Khan. There's that too. <laughs> which eerily translates from their native tongue as Mountain of the Dead. Jeez. Yeah. The would-be rescuers discovered a badly damaged tent and a plethora of footprints made by what appeared to be at least eight different people radiating out of the devastated tent. Chavrin then described the state of the large tent that the skiers all shared. Hmm. He stated, We discovered that the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes were left behind. The search party members quickly realized that the tracks consisted of either bare feet or sock-clad feet, and in Hmm. one case, a single shoe. Two sets of prints led down a slope toward a densely forested area, but the trucks—sorry, the tracks—were covered by snow, roughly fifteen hundred feet away from the tent. Chivrin followed the trail and found the remains of a fire beneath a looming ancient pine, and with it, something much worse. Near the long dead fire were the frozen remains of team members Doroshkinov and Krishnakoshkov. The searchers noted with utter bewilderment that even though the men were well within range of the now ravaged tent, both men were naked and shoeless, save for their underwear. The investigators investigators also saw the branches of the old pine had been snapped off up to a height of almost 15 feet. So every branch was off that tree. Wow. Um, Jeez. Except for, you know, up above 15 feet. What was even creepier was the skin tissue that they found in the tree, indicating that the parrot frantically attempted to climb the tree, snapping off branches until the hands, and I quote the article here, were a mass of pulpy flesh.
3: Oh, So you had a bad day.
1: Oh, <laughs> At that sounds point, like my <laughs> the sounds like met. a penis
2: after one of my penis after a marathon masturbation set. So just a
1: <laughs> oh.
2: bloody pulp of.
1: Raw muscle.
2: Yeah. And
1: can um and at, that syrup. Point, at that point the searcher
2: maple syrup from Vermont. At
1: that point the searcher's imagination started to run a bit. Could it be a monster or a beast in the wild? Something almost Yeti like? Next was the body of team leader Dial Tov, where the pass was named after mm-hmm. after this incident, who was nearly nine hundred feet away from the other cadavers, but somewhat closer to the tent. Delatov was found on his back one hand was clinging to an undersized birch tree branch which his other hand locked in rigor mortis appeared to be protecting his head from an unknown attacker so he was protect it looked like he was protecting his head from an unknown attacker half buried in the snow not far from the tent either was the body of Rustam Slobodin which researchers found lying face down in the snow. Slobodin's skull bore a deep fracture nearly seven inches long. Nevertheless, medical experts later determined that the most likely cause was hypothermia, which only compounded by the bewilderment of the volunteer and military search participants. So they were like, oh, that was hypothermia, and then it looks like a guy got ran over by a steamroller. <laughs> I'm sorry, hypothermia. The carcass of Zimedia (laughs) Kalmagrav Was turned up the furthest away from the group Traces of blood were found near her corpse Yet it was not revealed if she was Its source Although that conclusion Would seem likely the rescuers could not Understand why there is no evidence of a struggle what was more perplexing was the fact that the searchers after inspecting the sever- severely damaged tent came to the conclusion that the material had been torn from the inside. So it wasn't on the outside, it was ripped from the inside. Like they means were panicked. They were frantically trying to get out. Yeah. As if its occupants, uh, you know, were were making a rush that unclasping the tent from the inside was not an option. Amidst the broken wood, shredded canvas, and debris of the ravaged tent, investigators discovered rolls of undeveloped film in the journals of a few of the expedition members. But rather than helping to eliminate the truth, they actually added more to the mystery, which hmm. sucks. It's not like, you know, it, this is something that you're, you're hoping is going to give you some closure, especially for the family. Right. And then... It only makes it worse because you've got wounds on people. You've got people not with their clothes on and and it just doesn't make sense. The four lost skiers the four, I'm sorry, the four last skiers instructor Alexander Zolterkov engineer Nicholas Thibault Brigonel, and students Alexander Kolotov and Ludmila Dabinia were discovered buried beneath 12 feet of snow and ice. All had apparently they'd all apparently succumbed to um, sorry, succumb to brutal internal injuries, unlike their friends who had perished above. These victims were all fully dressed. Mm. Um, as in the case of Slobodin, Thabo, Brigonel's skull showed evidence of having been struck by a heavy object. Zolotrev and Dabina's chest had been crushed inward, shattering several ribs and causing massive internal damage. Strangely, there were no indications of what have caused the severe trauma, and even more bizarrely, the corpses showed no signs of bruising or soft tissue damage. Dr. Boris Vozor-Vozor-Denny, who inspected the body, stated that the force with which these corpses were hit exceeded the capable... exceeded that capable by a man or woman and... Hi, everybody! <laughs> ...would to claim that the damage was equal to the effect of a car crash. Wow. It sounded like Dr. Nick there for a second. That was That
3: was
2: really that good. Was- really what I was going for.
1: <laughs> the, see- the 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 searchers were startled to observe that Dabina's head was tilted back, her stretched mouth wide as if emitting a silent scream, and then upon closer inspection saw that her eyes and tongue had been ripped out by the root. Her tongue was ripped out? Yeah. And Ooh. her eyes. Ow. Nice. Yeah. Compared to everyone else, huh. she was missing those. So, you had a bad day? Yeah. Yeah. They also noted Ouch. that at some point, these poor individuals... wrote a bad
2: song. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that uh, they noted that these these poor individuals had either exchanged or stolen the clothing off their comrades as Dabina's foot was swaddled in a tattered piece of Krushnikov's wool pants and Zoltarov was found wearing <laughs> Dabina's faux fur hat and coat. The searchers were unsure if this was the result of dressing too swiftly in the dark tent or a case of scavenging articles of clothing from deceased teammates at the funerals that soon followed the discovery of the bodies. Many family members claimed that the skin of the deceased bore an unnatural orange color. And even more disturbingly, most-
2: he's now president.
1: Josh <laughs> get <laughs> Trump was there. <laughs> Trump daddy. Uh, skeptics claim that the orange skin was caused by exposure that the hair which had also lost its color had had been tattered had been changed from the elements but it's interesting that so many of the bereaved relatives took the time to notice these strange features as if this were not odd enough some of the articles of clothing found on the bodies were measured as emitting higher than normal levels of radiation let's take a break
4: in early 1959 a group of hikers decided to head out on an expedition across a mountainous region of Western Soviet Union. The group consisted of nine experienced men and women greatly familiar with the Siberian wilderness. Yet, this adventure would prove to be their last. Despite our criminal investigation, photographs and journal entries, the case remains unsolved after more than half a century. This is the case of the Atlov Pass. In the early morning of January the 23rd, 1959, a ski and hiking team of 10 boarded a train headed for the Ural Mountains in the middle of the Soviet Union. The group consisted of eight men and two women with Igor Diatlov as the group's leader. As the train slowly advanced deep into the mountainous Siberian taiga, the group diary received a final entry. I wonder what awaits us on this hike. Will anything new happen? Over the next few days, the group continued to altercate between modes of transportation. First a bus, then a truck, then a horse and sleigh, and eventually they proceed on foot and skis. On January the 28th one of the hikers named Yuri Yudin had begun to feel quite ill and eventually decided to head back while the remaining group of nine continued as planned. These photos were taken just before they parted ways and it would be the last time he saw his friends alive. The group resumed their expedition across the snow-covered outback and documented everything of note using diaries as well as multiple cameras. Recovered photos and journal entries suggest that the trek progressed as one would expect with no unforeseen complications. Just lots of snow, bitter cold, and an increasingly arduous landscape. On February the 1st, they reached the foot of a mountain known to the indigenous mansi population as Dead Mountain. They spend the better part of the day progressing up the slope and eventually decide to set up camp only a few hundred meters from the peak. These are some of the last photos recovered from the cameras, and the last sentence of the final entry reads, It is difficult to imagine such a comfort on the ridge, with shrill, howling wind hundreds of kilometers away from human settlements. We've talked about what
1: happened. Yeah. We've even got the ominous clip with pictures you can't see, but if you like us, you'll see them. All of them we will do that for you ladies and gentlemen I'm sure right. mm.
2: kind of touch and go on that yeah oh,
3: maybe I... the pictures of them alive mm. the happy ones
2: no one's going for those pictures uh, no. they want to see the dead the corpses
1: during the invig- inv- investigation they found the rolls what of film was that <laughs> <laughs> sorry during the investigation they found the rolls of film from the campsite and had them developed from it was revealed that the expedition members had set up camp on February 2nd at approximately 5 p.m. on the slope of Kilt Shvigulk. In order to get out of the inclement weather, the group had cleared the tree line and were a mere 10 miles from the first destination on their long trek. Gora Autorin. In the photos, they all looked healthy and jovial, which you'll see. Investigators came to the conclusion that sometime around 7 p.m. the team ate a meal and not long thereafter... And not long thereafter, members began to settle down for the night. The temperature on the slope was less than five degrees Fahrenheit, <laughs> which has always made investigators wonder why it was that so many of the skiers were in a state of undress. Whatever their Orgy. reasons. Yeah, probably. Why not? Um, most research- researchers agree that at this point, everything was relatively normal. Forensic pathologists later estimated that the events which ultimately led to the untimely deaths of the skiers must have occurred between 9.30 and 11.30 p.m. They based the speculation on the undigested food found in the stomachs of the victims. At this point, military investigators began piecing this puzzle together to the best of their ability. What follows is the best estimation from the military investigators of what occurred. The investigators speculated that sometime before midnight on February 2nd, the skiers were frightened by an unknown event. Members of the team managed to cut or rip through the fabric of the tent in a frantic attempt to escape whatever might have been attacking or approaching them, and in their haste, they burst out into the icy night, mostly Mm. unclothed and in a state of sheer terror. Being experienced skiers and mountaineers, the group must have been fully aware of the fact that they would not be able to survive in the frigid wastes without protection this indicated to the investigators that the team had been convinced that they were facing mortal peril. The generally bare tracks found in the deep snow implied that the team had initially scrambled outward in all directions, which is creepy. If you look at the pictures, you can actually see the footprints in the snow and then where they stop. Mm -hmm. It almost looks like somebody's running bolting and then they just stop, Mm -hmm. which is like, what did they just jump in the air and just float away or something? Uh. Um, so anyway, uh, Krishnikov tried so desperately to climb with Dorshowik, um the incline that was 900 feet away um, and they tried to huddle for safety at some point at this point the investigators speculated that an attempt was made by teammates to share clothes but the states of undress that so many of the victims were found in would seem to indicate otherwise <laughs> still the evidence suggests that the group obviously terrified by the prospect of returning to their tent managed to gather enough kindling to start a fire Dorshovec Dorosh and Krivishnoshchikov's efforts to—I am so sorry, Russian listeners, if there are any—efforts to climb the tree were a futile attempt at escape. Just call them all Vladimir Putin. Hey, hey, Putin, Putin. I can't even say anything right. Lari, Josh. Jeez. Uh. <laughs> uh their efforts to climb the tree were a futile attempt at escape or if they might have been trying to gain a better vantage point to see if their <clears throat> tent, which was much higher on the slope, was still under siege by whatever unknown menace had compelled them to take flight panic. At some mm-hmm. point during the night, investigators proposed that Dureshniko and Krishnikov likely had succumbed to exposure. It was then that the three members on the team, Kolmogorov, Slobodin, and Dalatov, determined that braving whether it was that had apparently infested the tent was preferable to dying of hypothermia resolute and almost certainly oh! I had a big booger come out <laughs> I'm sorry they got out at least an inch <laughs> oh god I can't, I'm trying to read it I can feel it just oozing out of my head
2: Ryan
3: you're leaking <laughs> sorry
1: I can't hear it I hear my voice It goes <laughs> <laughs> I got it <him>. It's <laughs> just this, like Booger arm just came out and slapped the mic Sorry Remind me
3: never to use that mic
1: oh, No kidding <laughs> I'm it's trying coagulant. to tell a creepy story And there's a monster growing out of my head You have a
2: swamp thing coming out of your nose
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh lord so, this is all bad shit that happened to these people. But I'll speed this up a little bit and say... Oh, thank God. <laughs> those, those, those military investigators had, had their theories. But their biggest question was what happened? Mm-hmm. They skipped the whole, they ran out of the tent because of, quote, bad thing. <sighs> so, given the evidence... Before we jump into theories, which is the last part of all this, what do you guys think happened? The Swiss attacked. You're <laughs> <laughs> and
2: um well, I learned from the last time you were here. <laughs> Did I do- You remember you hawked up a loogie and oh had to go downstairs God. to get dispose of it? Fuck this winner. Um my my theory is an avalanche. Okay, because you had some people buried. You had blunt trauma to the head. I mean, that would explain why someone's trying to climb a tree.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, why <sighs> they were trying to f- f- see if the tent was still there.
1: That's a good theory. That's my best and theory. It, it is one of like the five.
2: And that's without seeing any evidence of anything.
1: <laughs> that's that's a good theory. Yeah. <sighs> I guess without
3: knowing everything about the area is there is it possible is it possible that there was um, some kind of a local like tribe or
1: something that could have came after them well that was part of the clip earlier so maybe that was like subliminal but yeah no there's there's a theory about a tribe like maybe they were camping on part of their
3: land and that's the reason why... But then again, it doesn't
1: explain how... Well, hold they on. P- they were on their land. There was a local tribe called the Mansi Warriors. M A N S A R I said that That's wrong. so un-Russian. The Manson Warriors. The Mansi Warriors. They were upset that they trespassed on their land. Um, But then again, this doesn't explain the damage that was done to them that was... They said couldn't have been done by a human. It was like car crash it, level. And there's no other footprints. Right. There's there's footprints, but it, like I said, it's, it's very... Hard to tell who's... It's hard to tell.
2: Couldn't they just cut off the foot and, of the dead people and just go like...
3: Well, if these people were buried, and I mean, if they're in a mountain, it's going to be snowing. So is it entirely possible that these people either covered their tracks themselves or...
1: They were buried 12 feet, though. I think I think with the amount of clothes on some of them, they probably weren't in the right state of mind to, like, think that far ahead, especially if the weather is that bad. Well, and whenever you ex-
3: uh, experience hypothermia, isn't there a certain state of, uh, I don't want to say, well, like, hallucinations, and uh,
1: you might start to lose, lose your that. mind a little bit? Okay. Yes, and I'll get to that. That'll be the last one. Okay, so there's theories okay. that it was aliens. According <laughs> to archived reports, Lev Ivanov, the lead Soviet investigator on the case, collected a report from a group of hikers suggesting that something extraterrestrial might have resulted in the Delatov team's tragic demise. The hikers were camping in an area about 32 miles south of the kolat that scary death mountain, as stated by those Mancy tribe who actually, that was their territory. Um, they saw strange orange spheres in the sky. So there was a UFO sighting that same night. Hmm. Um, Ivanov, that investigator himself believed that these spheres might have been involved with the unusual deaths. And then in the 1990 interview, Ivanov claimed that he had been ordered to close the case And classified the findings as secret, but he stated openly that he was 100% convinced that it was aliens. The next theory of the five is Mm -hmm. military testing. Okay. Now, our man Yuri Yudin, the guy that got sick and stayed back, he was 100% convinced. Well, we'll say 99% because he still wanted to ask God the one question about what happened to his friends. But he was almost totally convinced it was military testing. According to Uden, the 10th member, um, the proof combined with the fact that Udin had seen documents that indicated the investigation started two weeks before the camp's official discovery, which compelled him to claim that the military had discovered the camp before the volunteer search party arrived. Taps. (laughs) Was that for my boogers? Yeah, that was... (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> saying, those are the only that, Yeah, not also claimed that he knew For a fact there were special boxes With their organs Sent for examination Remember there was radiation found on oh, their bodies yeah, that's that's right. right But this was not reflected In any of the papers that were released Next Number 4 of the 5 Siberian Yeti That's it <laughs> Just another Soviet Russian Bigfoot. Scary, hungry, and probably cold. Oh, and also avalanche. While there's no evidence of an actual avalanche happening, some believe that there could have been, or they could have heard strange noises and thought an avalanche was occurring. This type of paranoia with high winds, freezing temps, could have sent them into a madness, especially yeah. without Google weather alerts to tell you otherwise. It's scary. Yeah. Thank God for phones.
2: Yeah. I mean, where else would I watch my porn?
1: Or like, what's that noise? Tell me, Siri. Porn. Oh, that's my microwave. Okay. Or my porn. Thanks, Siri. What would I do without you? No turn on incognito What would I do without you, Siri?
2: I feel
3: the same way about you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Siri. (laughs) What a sweet babe. All right. There is one last theory to round this episode out it's called infrasound you heard of that no no Does it sound familiar though it's a sound no well the uh american nationalist website that i listed earlier believes that infrasound is what it was infrasound sometimes referred to as a low frequency sound is a sound <laughs> That is lower in frequency than 20 hertz or cycles per second, the normal limit of human hearing. The brown note. Well, (laughs) you, this, that's the dial-up note. Okay. 20 Uh, minutes later, you had gotten to, uh, downloaded (laughs) to her boobs. That's right. (laughs) Hearing becomes gradually less sensitive as frequency decreases, so for humans to perceive infrasound, the sound pressure must be sufficiently high. The ear is the primary organ for sensing infrasound, but at higher intensities, it is possible to feel infrasound vibration in various parts of the body. The study of such sound waves is sometimes referred to as infrasonics, covering sounds beneath 20 hertz. Infrasound is char- characterized by an ability to cover long distances. Hmm. So it actually travels quite a bit. Whereas um, like a dog bark is can be upsetting, but it might not travel the same types of distances that something like this does. Um, <laughs> even though it feels like it. Shut up, you mutt! I gotta work in the morning! In music, low-frequency sounds, including near-infrasound, can be produced using acoustic waveguide methods such as the large pipe organ or, for reproduction, exotic loudspeaker designs such as transmission line, rotary woofer, or traditional subwoofer designs. Now, what kind of human reactions do you get from infrasound? Well... 20 hertz is considered the normal low frequency limit of human hearing. When pure <laughs> sine wave, <laughs> Nice. When pure sine waves are reproduced under ideal conditions and at very high volume, a human listener will be able to identify tones as low as 12 hertz, below 10 hertz. It is also possible to perceive the single cycles of the sound, along with the sensation of pressure on the eardrums. So, when you get lower... You guys ever hear about the the quietest room yeah. in the world? Yeah. That has like they say if you go in there you'll go insane wow. for too long. Yeah, you, can't, really. you can't sit in there. Huh. Um, a scientist working at Sydney's University Auditory Auditory Neuroscience Laboratory reports growing evidence that infrasound may affect some people's nervous system hmm. by stimulating the go vestibular on. system. And this has shown in animal models an effect similar to seasickness. So people get seasick. In the study, 45 people at the Terran University researchers stated, despite all the good benefits of wind turbines, this technology has health risks. For all those exposed to its sound, in particular, sleep disorders. In another study at Ibarki University in Japan, researchers said the EEG test showed the brain function showed that the infrasound produced by wind turbines was considered to be an annoyance to the technicians who worked in close, modern, large-scale wind mm. turbines. Some respondents and some of these low tones report anxiety, uneasiness, extreme sorrow, nervous feelings of revulsion, fear, chills down the spine, and feelings of pressure on the chest. Now, there's a real thing called avalanche paranoia. You pair that with infrasound, and if you don't know what's happening in the weather, yeah. people will go insane. Wow. So, that am nationalist guy that wrote that article that I listed in the beginning. That's what he claims was the reason. And I okay. got to say, to round it out, if I had to pick of those five, I'm with him. Okay. I think that's what happened. I think, first of all, the people escaped because one of them was going crazy. It only takes one nut, one loose nut in a group to make everybody mm-hmm. lose their mind. They all escape, and you hit minus five, and you're not dressed properly. Ooh hey, six to eight hours from eating, it makes sense. In an hour, I'm surprised they didn't all die quicker, but you factor the fact that they found the bodies under, some of the bodies off that ravine under 12 feet of snow. Well, that's a ravine. They found the first bodies in February. It wasn't spring the whole time. It was winter. So that's just snow that piled up on top of it. It wasn't necessarily something malicious. Um... As far as the tree branches If they're that fucking cold They're trying to start a fire And if if they're not of right mind I mean think about it You put enough schizophrenics in a room You get the works be, of Shakespeare Or you get the walls painted in feces <laughs> My favorite medium <laughs> I'm just saying Insanity breeds insanity And uh That's my verdict you guys have any final thoughts on this one this unsolved mystery
3: sounds like it's solved to me I mean I think I out of all of those I would agree with you that,
2: that yeah it makes sense I still want to think it was a yeti coming down to get him that's the fun one to think the yeti but yeah
3: I spent a lot of time playing that downhill skiing game always tried to get away from him He'd always get me.
1: You don't know that. Well, as as we reflect on this unsolved mystery, did we learn anything? Um, That song's not as good
2: as I remember it. That's what I got out of this. Hey, it's Um, it
1: was the nineties. People liked strings and beats
2: and flannel.
1: They did. I still have mine. Hmm. Did we learn anything though?
2: No. No.
1: Don't
3: go outside in minus five degree weather. I'm still going to go with Swiss
1: Army.
2: <laughs> You're
1: right on. All right, Josh, let's round this out. If, 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 well, if. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's fine. We'll, we'll, uh, I think we're good though. <sighs> huh? Huh? Do we have any other things we need to add to this episode? I think we've done enough. I, <laughs> I thought there was enough. a quiz. <laughs> we do have a
2: quiz. Oh. I think it's time
3: to get
1: quiz
2: You know what? You can all sing along. Yes, we get quizzical. <laughs>
1: Let's get quizzical,
2: quizzical. I want to get quizzical. Let's get into quizzical. All right, everybody. You know the game, buzzing with your name, blah, blah, blah. So I'm sure you're wondering, what the hell are we going to do a quiz on today?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Riggarmarks>.
1: <laughs> I do like these quizzes because they're very nicely tailored. Question number
2: one. Most ski boots today are made of what material? Plastic. (laughs) Mm. Oh. Actually, I take it back. You were right. It was
1: plastic. Okay. Let's start. (laughs) I'm not looking good here. (laughs) That's okay. Because if Ryan scores a point, we're looking great any day. Question (laughs) number Two. A
2: blown ACL is which of the following? A. A missed gate. B. A bad aerial. C. A break. A broken pole. Or D. A nasty injury. Josh. Ryan. Josh. D. That's correct. <laughs> My skis are chapped. Question number three. We're tied one to one. An eastern boilerplate is which of the following items? It's not a drink. Oh. A. Awesome skiing. B. A classic ski race. C. Icy snow conditions. Or D. Eight inches of fresh pow. Josh C. That is correct. Damn it! Question... Number four, slalom and giant slalom are both what? What? A, telemark techniques. B, Ethiopian ski hills. C, winter Olympic events. Ryan. Ryan. C. That is correct. We're tied. Oh, wow. Two to two. Last
1: question. I think it's the first time this has ever happened. Oh, my God. Ryan's learning things. The
2: Herminator. <laughs> oh, jeez. Is which of the following? A, a great Austrian racer. G'day, mate. A corner at Kitzbühel. Arnold's cousin or a ski lift? Josh. D. Mm, that is incorrect, Ryan. Yes, B. Mm, <laughs> Fuck. A oh. great Austrian racer. Oh,
1: <laughs> do we have a tiebreaker?
2: We always have a tiebreaker. Oh man, give me something good here.
3: Pump, Which pump of the that?
2: following is not a ski manufacturer? Ooh. A Atomic, B Fisher, C Volant, or D Wilson. Ryan. Ryan. B. Mm. Fuck. D.
1: Josh. Yes. With another win. Yeah, all the Josh fans are happy right now. Ooh, Josh. We love Josh. He always wins. Ryan sucks.
3: Actually, actually. For the longest time, we said that I was undefeated. But then it wasn't until the werewolves episode
2: that right. But I, did, we we couldn't say that. Oh yeah, because it had the show hadn't come out yet. That's true. So then I believe that was our first one. That was our very first one, and Ryan oh, actually I won, won the first one, but we never released it. <laughs> so until Ryan late, so has not won one.
1: Again, since the beginning, since since the
2: very first. Yeah, yeah, it'll have It's a dry patch.
1: It's okay. You almost had me. Almost. Well, one of these quizzicals is going to get another flippical, and Ryan's going to quiz you guys on what knowledge you've learned from these episodes again. Otherwise, he's just going to get
3: whimsical on us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I do like to get whimsical. Josh, where did we find you if you're not on conspiracy therapy? Burger King. Did Hmm. you say Taco Bell last week?
2: Well, yeah, I got to change it up. Right on. Can't eat at the same place every day. Mm. Or you'll die.
3: So you can also find Larry and I on Potty Slam Podcast. You know where it's at. Facebook, Twitter, uh, Potty Slam, com. It's wrestling history. Cool.
1: Larry?
2: dot com.
1: If you like this show and you've been listening and enjoying the content um, and have an idea for a future unsolved mystery for us to cover in the future, um, email us at conspiracytherapyshow at gmail.com or hit us up on our Twitter at conspiracytshow. Also, please, 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 please do me a favor. Can you do it? Little guy, little little girl or big guy and big girl? Because you're a big man. We
2: already did the Franklin cover up. Oh Oh, sure I'm the bad one
1: (laughs) Please like Beer City Media And follow them on Twitter Or on Facebook Also there are Paypal links to all our Podcasts if you could spare A a shekel or two we would greatly Appreciate Mm -hmm. it it's what keeps this thing Going it's what keeps The storage fees from Stealing books from our Dogs and cats and kids So
2: Brian's Cats and dogs can read, apparently. Yours
1: can't? No,
2: they're dumb. That's okay. My dog meows and my cat barks.
1: My cat poops outside of the litter box. so. (laughs) And my dog eats my cat's shit. Welcome to America. All right. Well, that's been it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, You can follow us also, me and Larry, on Twitter, at Ryan Herrig and at Larry underscore God underscore God for updates and future hijinks and silliness. Maybe some
2: shenanigans
1: thrown in
3: for
2: good measure.
1: You never know. Hey. Just putting it out there. Don't listen to the infrasound, kiddos. (laughs) No more government operations that try to be bad. Be good. Be Good to yourself this week
2: I was good to myself twice today
1: <laughs> I'll see you next week on another episode Of Conspiracy Therapy Good night a presentation of Beer City Media.